You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. This is episode 718. Completely random number, but uh, I never really say what the, what the number is. And I just kind of visualized this morning the reality that not everybody's been listening since episode one. I've barely been listening since episode one. Some people are just flipping through these garbage directories that don't know what good podcasts are, and they're like, I don't know, let's give this loser a try. And then I envisioned me saying 718, and them going, whoa, this guy's been around a while, what's up with that? And then it's like, I know, right? iTunes, what is up with that? Anyways, 718 is what we're doing today, rocking in a free world. So I want to start off with a couple questions. There's only uh, three today. But some of them have been backlogged and sitting at the bottom of my list, so I just dragged them to the top. I can't super imagine that's going to be the first half before the you know second break. But we'll see how it goes, because there's plenty to talk about after that. Make sure that you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. It's a great place for uh, you know conversation. I also pluck a lot of what I talk about here from the uh, podcast Facebook group, especially when I'm running low, which I kind of feel like I am. We'll see how the news is today. But um, probably going to start poaching off the Facebook group pretty soon. If you'd like to support the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, like... Um, nope, that's not how that works. Leave a five-star iTunes review. That's, that's... You don't like and subscribe. Although you could. You could subscribe. You know what? Just do whatever you want. I, I can't think today. Otherwise, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Thank you very much to Cam for jumping on board. We are at 104, and like I said, if we get to 125 by the end of the month... We will be doing a Pro Football Focus subscription giveaway. Not the $200 one, but like the $30 or $40 one. But that does have their entire draft guide, which is filled with like 150 prospects, which I know actually isn't that much. Maybe it's more than that. Maybe they upped it. But it's super in-depth with stats that you're not going to find literally anywhere else. It's pretty solid. Plus, you still get the grades from each of the players. The only thing, it, I mean, it has, I think, everything. I think it has the quarterback thing, too. It just doesn't have the the super in-depth, searchable NFL stats. But I think it has literally everything else. And you get it for an entire year. So you can jump in on Patreon for as little as a buck a month. Consider it. Thank you. Much appreciated. Anyways, why don't we take our first break? We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. 
when I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so I want to start off with a question that I got from Riker. Fantastic name, by the way. But uh, this was on Patreon. And I feel bad because it's like I get a Patreon question. It's like, oh, this needs to go to the top because it's Patreon. But I didn't know the answer. But uh, I don't know how many people this has crossed their mind. But it'll be a little bit informative for all of us because I had never even really considered it. He says, I understand the NFL scheduling format is that uh, we play every AFC team on a four-year rotation. So AFC, North, East, South, West is on a four-year rotation. He said this also rotates home and away versus those AFC teams. So basically we play at each AFC team every eight years. Anyway, my question is, after playing at Kansas City in 2007, why did we play there again in 2011? And he's particularly upset because that was our one loss that season was at Kansas City, and his contention was if we were at home, we would have been undefeated. So we got railroaded. They cheated. Boom. Here's what I figured out. Because I honestly never even cared enough to figure out how they did the scheduling. I just, you know, whatever. The rule is, you are on a four-year rotation. So, uh, I mean, the the entire rule, obviously, you play the NFC North twice a year, blah, 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 work your way down the list. And then the opposite conference, the AFC for us, you play one conference every four years, and you play two home games and two away games. It doesn't say you have to rotate which one's which. In other words, if you were home before, you have to be away next time. It does not say that. It says two home and two away. So in 2007, we played the Chiefs and the Broncos away and the Chargers and Raiders at home. That's two home, that's two away. In 2011, we played Chiefs, Chargers away, Broncos, Raiders at home. That's two home, two away, despite the fact that the Chiefs were away twice and the Raiders were at home twice. Again, I don't know how many people are interested in this or care about this, but if you'd been wondering about it, now you know. At least I'm just assuming that. I just read the rule, and that's what the rule says, and based on the rule, we didn't really violate the rule. So there you go. I had also gotten a question on Twitter. This is from uh, Jared. He says, What is the rookie hit rate on rookie wide receivers coming in and producing that year at a level we need them to? I do think we have to sort of keep in mind the Rodgers window because we could end up with no window in the future since finding a quarterback is not easy. Yeah, great quarterback is not easy. He says, overall, I do agree with you on OBJ, though. So this is always a super contentious thing around this time of year when I say, when I'm somewhat anti-free agency, although I'm, I'm not anti-free agency, I just try to be honest with what the each side of it is, and then you always get the yeah, but Rogers window argument. Um, it's, it's obvious, well, we'll get into the specifics of it, but one of the things that dawned on me when I did a, th- and it's hard because I haven't done it yet and I'm not doing it today, I don't think, but I, I basically laid out at, at what year are we in trouble at this position. Quarterback is one of the latest that we have. We've got, I mean, I know it seems like it's coming up quick, 
But in terms of needs, it's what, like 2024 or something to that effect? I should just pull it up. I mean, basically our entire offensive line, you know, wide receiver, running back, everything is going to be in trouble before. I mean, that's one of the later things. And I, I get it. It's a different situation when you're talking quarterback. But it just it helped me to contextualize it to look at it and say, eh, we've kind of got a long time with this guy. But let's let's dive specifically into the question because it is a good question. And I just took one year as a sample size, so it's not entirely fair, but it is what it is. This is what happened last year. So what I did is I took every wide receiver that is a first or second round pick. That includes Hollywood Brown, Nikhil Harry, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, Miko Hardman, Paris Campbell, Andy Isabella, and D.K. Metcalf. Those every wide receiver taken in the first two rounds. Then I took every free agent wide receiver in terms of highest average pay. That is the top eight because there's eight rookie wide receivers. So I wanted to get eight free agents. Roughly, this is guys that are getting about nine to ten million dollars a year. And I just wanted to compare them. What is really the difference so i looked at their pff grades i looked at their cost in or i looked at their age i looked at their cost in 2019 i looked at their cost in 2020 i looked at yards and i looked at touchdowns so i got stats i got age i got cost i got pff grade i feel like i've covered the whole spectrum now i'll admit the when i read the list of of wide receivers which is what i'm going to do next they actually performed better than i would have expected as soon as i saw the list of free agent wide receivers i just cringed and thought, yeah, free agent wide receivers are trash. But they actually performed fairly well. Here's the list. Antonio Brown, Devin Funchess, Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Adam Humphreys, John Brown, Cole Beasley, and Cordero Patterson. Just, I mean, just listen. <clears throat> Let me read them side by side again. We'll do one-to-one just so you can hear this out loud. Because, again, we, we the assumption that I think a lot of people have is, Rookies take time to develop. They're not very good, maybe in a couple of years, but it's super hit and miss. Free agency, you know what you're getting, which is just very not true. Usually you overpay, and not only do you overpay based on what they've done in the previous years, you overpay based on what they're about to do, which usually there's a massive drop-off. But let's just do one-to-one. Hollywood Brown or Antonio Brown, which is hilarious because they're literally cousins. Nikhil Harry or Devin Funches. Debo Samuel or Jamison Crowder. A.J. Brown or Golden Tate. Michael Hardman or Adam Humphreys, Paris Campbell or John Brown, Andy Isabella or Cole Beasley, DK Metcalf or Cordero Patterson. I can't think just off the top of your head of one of those two comparisons in which you would take the free agent. Without even going into any of the details, tell me which one of these free agents you'd rather have than those rookies. I just... Ugh. But all right, let's dig into some of these these things because in terms of grade... I was actually shocked to find out that a lot of these guys performed pretty well. Antonio Brown, I just gave him an N.A. Because I think he did have a 90 overall grade, but he played one game. One. You don't get credit for one game. I'm sorry. You didn't play. That's what happened. But Devin Funches had a 69 overall grade, which is basically good. Jamison Crowder at a 72.4, which is good, and I'm shocked. Golden Tate, 74. That's shockingly good. Adam Humphreys, 72. Shockingly good. John Brown, 74, which is incredibly good. I mean, for a guy that I would not have expected to contribute anything. Cole Beasley, a 74. And then Cordero Patterson, obviously the guy that the Bears wanted, 54. (laughs) The one guy in this entire list of both rookies and free agents that's trash is Cordero Patterson, the guy that the Bears got. But the average grade for a free agent was a 69.9. Now, without even giving you any of the additional stats, here's the average for the... um, the rookies, it was a 69.2. So just based on that, and I'll go through the individuals, but if I told you that 
on average from a free agent, you're going to get a 70. On average from a rookie, you're going to get a 69 overall grade. Are you going to pay a free agent rather than a rookie? No, you're not. Going down the list individually, Hollywood Brown was a 70, Nikhil Harry was a 66, Debo was a 75, A.J. Brown was the best of any of these guys at 84, Mikkel Hardman was a 70, Paris Campbell was a 54, actually exactly the same as Cordero Patterson, I lied, 54.7, uh, Andy Isabella, 64, D.K. Metcalf was a 70-ish. So the average grade was a 69.2, compare that to a 69.9. But that's, even all things being exactly equal, you would take free agents barely. But then take consider the age. The average age of these free agents was 28 years old, 28 and a quarter. The average age of these rookies is 22 and a half years old. 22 and a half. If we look at yards, the rookies got 543 yards on average. The free agents got 487. The rookies managed to get 4.4 touchdowns per season, per player. The free agents averaged 3.4. So statistically, the rookies were better than the free agents. Basically, they graded out about exactly the same. Statistically, the rookies did better. We're talking about rookies that are 22 years old compared to free agents that are 28 years old. And then comes in the cost. On average, in 2019, this is not the average salary. This is what was actually paid, or what was actually, I shouldn't say paid, what was your cap hit? What was the cap hit for this player in um, in 2019? On average, a free agent costs you $6.5 million. On average, these rookies cost $1.2 million. In 2020, that's this year, including Antonio Brown, who's going to hurt the salary cap of the, uh, of the New England Patriots, $8.2 million. 8.2 on average for Antonio Brown, Devin Funches, Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Adam Humphreys, John Brown, Cole Beasley, Cordero Patterson. In 2020, the average cost of a rookie, $1.5 million. It's just not even, in, in any possible category, it's just not even close. Again, outside of just the overall grades. But again, the, the other aspect of that is even if they're about the same, what direction, what, which, which way is the arrow pointing for these guys? James, Devin, Devin Funches is not getting better. I mean, maybe Devin Funches of, of all of them because he's 25, but the guy's not getting better. Jamison Crowder, Golden Tate, Adam Humphrey. I mean, Golden Tate is 31 years old. Cole Beasley's 30 years old. These guys are not going to be getting better. So in year one, at an average cost of $1.2 million and at 22 years old, every single one of these guys you would expect to take a step next year or about stay the same. They're not going to get worse. So imagine on average these guys taking a step. While these other guys who are getting paid $8 million a year take a step in the opposite direction. Again, this is just one year, and I'm sure there's slightly different results every time. But let's also not forget, this was considered to be a pretty weak wide receiver class. Compare that to this year and try to apply the same logic. What are the odds that the free agents outpace the rookies in this class? It's wildly unlikely. And, I mean, you look at the, you know, Nelson Aguilar, Geronimo Allison, Robbie Anderson, Travis Benjamin, Randall Cobb, Philip Dorsett, Devin Funches again, Taylor Gabriel, Josh Gordon, Brashad Higgins, Brashad Perriman. And you know, guys know I like Brashad Perriman and Emmanuel Sanders. Not going to be upset about either of those guys, but still, but still. And if you want to talk about doing maybe a little bit of both, okay. Maybe kind of hedge your bets because it probably is a slightly lower risk with a free agent. If you get a free agent, you can, even if you assume he takes a half a step back, you know he's not going to be a complete bust. 
But then you run into the problem of take that list, make them take a half a step back. How many of them are not even as good as the guys we already have? So now you have to get high-priced guys, and now you're spending way too much for wide receivers and drafting a guy early. It's just too many resources. So it's it's a complicated equation. If you just do a wide receiver in, in the draft, there's a, there is a chance he's going to be a bust. I don't care if you have the number five overall pick. He could absolutely be a bust, regardless of position, regardless of anything. I mean, number one overall picks bust all the time. So there is that risk, but it, there's just there's no there there are no easy good answers. Is sort of the problem. Everything has a, a downside, but you know again this was my best attempt at trying to honestly look at again the the top free agents compared to the first two rounds of wide receivers in the draft, and by just about every metric, the rookies were actually better than the free agents, with the exception of PFF grade, in which they were basically tied. They were both 69. One you round up to 70, one you round down to 69. But again, in 2020, the odds that those guys, one of which at least is not even in the league in the other, anymore, the other one, one of them's a free agent again, and probably will be a free agent every year until he finally just nobody wants him anymore, Devin Funches, because the guy's just never been any good. So again, it just you just run into that problem. I mean, you know... Again, we can go get Devin Funches, but I think I would rather have Equinemius and, you know, give Marquez a shot, see if he can get better than last year. I know he's ridiculously terrible last year, but Alan Lazard, I doubt he's going to be better than Alan Lazard. And again, that's sort of the problem. And you're paying more. And again, the only way you get around that is you just give the absolute bag to, you know, an Emmanuel Sanders or, you know, maybe Brashad Perriman. I believe in Brashad Perriman, but he's sort of a high-risk guy because he's newly awesome and he's been kind of terrible in the past so maybe he's a breakout guy that's about to be a freak maybe he just had a flukish year in the on the right team and he's about to regress i don't know but there there aren't too many great options but if you had to prioritize between the draft or a free agent it's not even close especially this year draft if you want to do first round if you want to do second round i'd prefer we don't wait until the third round if possible but i'm sure there's still going to be good options in the third we're going to be better off than either paying a billion dollars for, I don't even know who you would give a lot of money to, Emmanuel Sanders, I guess, if he's able to leave. A.J. Green is going to be franchise tagged, and Amari Cooper is going to be franchised, I'm sure. I just There just aren't that many good options. So there you go. All right, third question. Sorry, I don't remember where it came from, but there was a question about my, let's say, dislike of Joe Schobert. Does this correlate with losing Miles Garrett. In short, no, but it's a little bit more nuanced. Basically, if I were to summarize, he was horrible after Garrett left. That's 100% true, but it really wasn't any different before he left, which is sort of the issue. With Garrett gone, Pro Football Focus graded him highly only one time. He had two games in which he was terrible. This is out of six games. In the 11 games that year with Garrett, He had four games in which he did a good job, and four times in which he was abysmal. To be fair, though, if we were to try to twist this as best as I can into a pro-Schobert thing, because I've obviously been very anti-Schobert, so let's try to put a somewhat positive spin on this. This year was an extremely down year. So if we were to ask the same question, which is how many times he graded terribly, which would be 40s or below, because again, 60s via PFF is average, 50s is below average, which isn't good, it's bad, but just looking at terrible, over the last three years, while Garrett's been on the team, 
The answer would be seven in total over three years, four of which were this year, again, while Garrett was there. So this year in particular was really terrible. So on an average year, he has maybe two to three really bad games. The problem is that still doesn't fix the issue. Even if, let's say, this was a down year and he never has a year like this again, Blake Martinez only had three this year. He had a bunch of 50s and 60s and, and you know not a whole lot of really good ones. But just again, for context, looking at terrible games, he had three and his lowest was a 48, which really isn't that low. So again, we're just looking at 40s and even his 40s were basically 50s. So even at his best, I still think Joe Schobert is actually a downgrade from Blake Martinez. The only real question is scheme fit, and I don't know. I've said pretty repeatedly that Blake Martinez can be a better linebacker somewhere else. I think he was a better linebacker before Mike Pettin came over here. I think Mike Pettin asked him to do different things, and although he's a very smart player, he just does not fit the scheme at all. And so there's a question of would Joe Schobert come and be a better scheme fit? I tend to think he's the same kind of player. But I don't really know that to be the case. I mean, I know they're both bigger, slower guys. I can't imagine having almost the exact same 40 times. Schobert is a really good... And he's not a good cover. I can see his grades. He's not a very good cover guy. But that doesn't mean there's not a little bit more nuance to what it is that they do well. Possibly that could work with Petten. And if they do decide to go after Schobert, that has to be the reason. That whatever it is that... Mike Pettin needs a linebacker to do, Schobert can do it, and Blake can't. And the assumption will be that he can come here and be better, almost like it would be just a swap, right? Maybe if Blake goes to the Browns and Schobert comes here, both of them will thrive. I I don't know, but I'm just making things up if I have to come up with a reason for why Schobert would do well here. It's not based on anything he's ever done in his entire career, because he has never been a good linebacker ever, despite getting a lot of... I remember when I had... I still have it technically, but I don't use it, which really upsets me because it was a relatively popular NFL draft um, YouTube channel. Literally every day that drives me nuts that I'm not utilizing that. But anyways, I remember when I would mock linebackers to the Browns. This was probably two years ago, and people would flip out like, what are you talking about, dude? Joe Schobert's one of the best linebackers in football. And it's like, where do you see this? It's just like certain fan bases and cultures just have this idea. Even like maybe in the media and stuff that certain guys are just good and maybe it's just a thing where PFF just wildly disagrees with the national consensus. Because I remember thinking Schobert's really good, but I go back and look at it, it's like where, when, how? It's just, it's not a thing. That was the one downside to you. I mean, the podcast is almost all positive. Like if I go on a super negative tirade, I'll get some bunch of bad messages, which is why I try to stay more positive. Critical, but not just like very vitriolically angry. If you've been listening for a while, I've done some pretty pretty harsh harsh tirade but for the most part it's pretty positive youtube it's all negative it's every that you don't comment on youtube unless it's to tell someone that you hope they die i mean it's just it's just not a thing so that's that's the one good thing about not doing youtube i guess so you know specifically going back to the question take it for what it's worth it does it seem as though possibly without garrett he's i'm sure he's worse without garrett and you could, I mean, it's super small sample size, but technically, mathematically, he did do worse without him. But it doesn't move the needle in terms of, do I care? Because because I still don't want Schobert. But, I mean, if, if that's strictly the question, yes, I would say he's worse without Garrett. But it, it, it for our purposes, I, it doesn't matter. Anyways, uh, why don't we take a break right now? A little bit early, but it's a, it's a, it's a good mid-mark. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, 
Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Dude, Quinn and Williams got arrested? What happened here? I don't know why when I say let's take a break, I pick up my phone like I'm actually taking... I'm not even taking a break. I literally just keep talking and I just have to insert an ad later. But I, I act like it's, oh, it's break time. No, it's not for you, dum-dum. Anyways, apparently Quinn and Williams got arrested for having a gun at an airport, so... Uh, I don't know, man. Whatever. Anyways, some relatively big news out of Washington. Um, it's been a big to-do about Trent Williams and needing to keep Trent Williams, and it's it sounded like it was a done deal, like they're definitely going to keep Trent Williams. Apparently, the Washington Redskins just told him, you know what, why don't you go shop yourself? Go ask around, see if you can find yourself a nice little home. He still has one year left on his contract, which is weird. Usually, when you kind of shop yourself around, it's as a free agent. But apparently, they're giving him the opportunity to find a trade partner for himself. I don't know if I've ever heard of that before. Obviously, with this, there's going to be some Packer fans that are going to say we should go get him. Because that's just what Packer fans do. Again, my biggest issue is... If we're going to replace Brian Balaga, it shouldn't be with somebody older than Brian Balaga. Trent Williams is 31 years old. Beyond that, Trent Williams did not play this year. He did play last year. He was the 14th highest graded pass blocker in football. The problem is Brian Balaga was 9th last year. Because Brian Balaga's always been good, despite the fact that Packer fans never wanted to give him credit. I don't understand it. Uh, Up until, I think, this past year, Packer fans hated Brian Balaga. I mean, hated is a little strong, but... I could not believe how much defending Brian Balaga I used to have to do. He's not that good. He's always hurt. He's a billion penalties, which the penalties were wildly overstated. In fact, this past year, David Bakhtiari was the penalty guy. Injuries are are fair. But if injuries are your concern, Trent Williams is not the solution. And maybe I'm just talking to myself because nobody actually wants this guy. I don't know. But just looking at the snap counts, it looks like he's been hurt pretty much every year since forever. So David Bakhtiari, for example, is, is... typically going to play over a thousand snaps i think most tackles that play an entire season play at around above a thousand snaps his snap counts 792 615 795 993 877 and then 1143 if i had to guess i'd say he's been injured and missed time almost every year probably every year maybe not 2015 but 993 snaps is very low i mean it's high but it's low maybe he missed a game i don't know fine i'll just go look at it yeah, he missed a, I mean, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 9. So he missed week six. One of these is a bye week, but 6. He didn't play in week 6. He didn't play in week 8. He didn't play in week 17, which is a week. So he missed at least two weeks in 2015. So he's he's missed time every... This is a terrible... For anybody. This guy is injured constantly. He didn't even play at all last year. He's 31 years old. He's talented, but Spotrac has him at $15 million a year. And again, this is another situation... I know based just on media hype, people think Trent Williams is one of the best tackles, and he is. The problem is we don't understand contextually what that means. We think um, Brian, or excuse me, David Bakhtiari is arguably the best tackle in football. Maybe he's up there with like two or three other guys. Trent Williams is one of the guys that's up in that upper echelon, and then Brian Balaga is somewhere down in the lower, you know, I mean, he's good, but he's not like up there. That's just not true. That's not how... Trent Williams is is not, I, I would argue, 
based on PFF grades, and we can go through stats if you like, not as good as Brian Balaga. He's hurt more often than Brian Balaga. He's older than Brian Balaga, and apparently he's going to cost more than Brian Balaga. So I know that he's seen as a better tackle. I know he's appreciated more. Probably maybe part of it is because he's a left tackle. I don't really know, which again is ridiculous because Brian Balaga went up against tougher competition than David Bakhtiari did this past year because you got guys like Von Miller and Khalil Mack that line up primarily on the right side. The offense is right side, that is. And he handled his business. Between the two, the only guy I remember getting completely wrecked was David Bakhtiari when we played the Chargers. And he could not do anything to stop Joey Bosa. Not a single thing. He just got wrecked by Joey Bosa. I'm not trying to dog David Bakhtiari. I just, I, I, I need you to really understand Brian Balaga is a top 10 tackle. Has been for a very long time. I don't care what you heard about Trent Williams or what your preconceived notions about Brian Balaga are. Brian Balaga is one of the best tackles in football. So absolutely not for Trent Williams. I don't know why anybody would even want to pay. I mean, I guess I understand it. Some teams just don't have... They really need a tackle, and they don't have one, in which case Trent, Trent Williams, wrong Trent, is a very good option, but you're paying a lot, and it's a huge risk. The injuries and the age and everything, it's just, eesh. The Packers should not even be considered, and they're not. They're not considering this. Plus, you'd have to trade for them and probably offer them a new contract unless you want to trade and have them for one year, which you don't. So you'd have to give up draft capital to the Washington Redskins, who absolutely do not want to give him up. They're letting him test the market so that he, they can essentially prove to him that he's not going anywhere. And that he's not worth that much. Because teams aren't going to offer that much for a 31-year-old guy that hasn't played a full season since 2014. And so when he finds out that teams are only willing to give up like a 4th or 5th round pick for him, he's going to realize he's not going anywhere and stay with Washington. Probably, maybe, possibly. Although, you get a team that's desperate for a tackle. Not even sure who that would be anymore. I would say Seattle, but they've got a left tackle now. Um, even the Vikings, you know, they I don't think they would. Plus, they can't. They can't afford him. Texans went out and traded for their tackle already. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. He's not going anywhere. We don't want him. We shouldn't want him. Wildly overrated by the media. Very good, but just ridiculously overrated by the media. And again, it, it's it's contextual because what I think has been talked about a lot is how important he is to the Washington Redskins because he is. He is one of the top tackles. And if they lose him, they're in a lot of trouble. So the importance of him makes sense. But I think the problem is we internalize that to mean he's one of the best in the business because you just hear about how important he is all the time and how much money he's going to get and all this stuff. And I think it just kind of gets built up. Speaking of getting built up, a little segue into our next topic. I want to, I guess, look at RAS one more time. And again, I'm not trying to dog it. It's a very cool thing, but and it's not necessarily about RAS. But the Combine in general, I think sometimes what, and this is a common thing that happens around this time, is counting people twice after the combine. And I think this is happening with Isaiah Simmons. I saw recently um, a mock draft, and I know this was very widely mocked. I shouldn't say mocked. Ridiculed. Could be confused saying it the other way. Very widely ridiculed because essentially, I believe Isaiah Simmons went number two to the Washington Redskins and then Chase went to the um, Lions. And what he said was that he's my number one overall player. Isaiah Simmons is kind of shooting up the boards. Here's the problem. Isaiah Simmons is considered a top 10 talent because he's a freak. He went to the combine and proved he's a freak, but you don't move him up. Unless he's more of a freak than you thought. But at the end of the day, Isaiah Simmons is where he is based on what he is, and that's a freak. 
and and again, maybe he gets a tiny bump. And I don't. If you think he's the number one player in the draft, that's fine. But don't assume that just because of what he did at the combine. A lot of people see big boards and mock drafts where Isaiah Simmons is is a top ten guy, and they just assume he's he's top ten just. I don't know, intrinsically or based on his play, but we have no idea how fast he is, how high he jumps, any of that stuff. And then when we see he's a freak and he gets a 10 out of 10 RAS, we freak out and we say, oh, he's the number one guy in the, in the class. Don't do that. You're counting him twice. It would be like if, if uh, you know, on, on eBay, we still to some degree sell on eBay, somebody will buy something, but eBay is kind of weird where they don't actually pay for it, at least not yet. It's not like a normal checkout thing where you pay and then it gets sent to you like, hey, somebody paid for this, send it to him. No. They buy it, and then later they decide to pay for it. It would be like after they buy it, I send them the item, and then after the money clears, I send them another item. You're giving them something twice. Again, as I've said plenty of times now, the combine, in terms of the the measurables and all that stuff, only serves to move people up and down based on what they did compared to expectations. If we had more time, I would dive into that because uh, I, I did that, a whole spiel on that. But we don't have time. But just just looking at it, I want to give you some examples of 10 out of 10s for RAS that didn't really do very much. First of all, punter Mitch Wisnowski. Hilariously, yes, a punter. He was one of the worst punters in football this past year. Now, that's a terrible example, but whatever. Lorenzo Carter, the linebacker, had a 10 out of 10. Absolute freak. He was the 40th best linebacker in uh, football this past year. Brian Cowrie. He is currently playing for the D.C. Defenders. He never even made it to the NFL. Lawrence Okoye, a 10 out of 10 RAS athletic freak. He was an undrafted free agent. He was in the league for five years, never played a single snap in the regular season. Devin Goda, undrafted free agent for one year. Then you've got guys that are decent enough, but not super elite. For example, uh, tight end Jordan Cameron. You probably remember him, but um, he was a tight end for a few years. Kind of a big name for about one year. Not Cam Jordan, Jordan Cameron. That's always got confused all the time. In his best year, though, he was the 28th best tight end in football. Cam Newton is a 10 out of 10. Now, Cam Newton's a decent enough quarterback, but that's the thing. He was 23rd overall in 2018. He was one of the worst quarterbacks in football in 2019, but there was a bunch of injuries and et cetera, et cetera. So I went back to 2018. But even that, that's not an anomaly that he was 23rd. He was 34th the year before that. He was 24th the year before that. PFF only gave him a really good grade once. That's the other thing about Cam. He's, he's he's great in fantasy football. As far as how he grades out as a quarterback, he's never actually been a super elite quarterback. He just gets a lot of yards and touchdowns because he runs the ball a lot. He also airmails the ball constantly. But the point is, Cam is what he is, and you don't bump him up because of how much of an athletic freak he is. He's an athletic freak, but so what? Uh, Marshawn Lattimore, another massively athletic freak, and he is a good football player, but he was 44th overall this past year. So guys are what they are. Um, you know, it... it Another, if you want to put another twist on this, Luke Keekley was a 10 out of 10, and obviously he was a freak. But Luke Keekley wasn't a freak because he got a 10 as an RAS, a relative athletic score, if you don't know what that is. It's, it's how fast and how high you jump and all that stuff compared to how tall and how fat you are. Isaiah Simmons is ridiculously fast for being like a 235-pound guy. Very fast, jumps very high, and he weighs a decent amount. You know, he's out jumping corners, he's out running wide receiver, and he's as big as a linebacker. That's what makes him a freak. But it still ultimately comes down to how good of a football player you are. And that's really what makes me nervous about Isaiah Simmons. The upside for him is through the roof. His his ability to be Luke Keekley, it's absolutely there. His ability to be a Swiss Army knife, to be a Derwin James, to be whatever is there in terms of his athletic upside. 
I'm just concerned about, especially when you move to the NFL and you're being asked to do like three different positions. I want you to be a safety, I want you to be a linebacker, and I want you to be a corner. And you have to learn these positions mentally and be able to do these things and be able to switch things and rotate and do this and do that. It just makes me nervous. But again, the, the overall thing that I'm trying to say, he is what he is based on how he plays. If you want to rank him number one overall in the draft, fine. But that has to be based on what you're watching on tape. And if what you're watching on tape is an athletic freak, that's fine. We, we, we know that based on his testing. If you don't see an athletic freak and he got a bump because of the combine, you got to kind of ask yourself, why don't you see it on tape? And that should make you nervous. In other words, if he got a massive bump, if he was already you know, relatively high, but he gets a massive bump because of his combine testing, you got to ask the question, why doesn't he look faster on tape? It should be somewhat of a concern. But again, I I think that this is a... And the reason I highlight Isaiah Simmons, it happens every year for a lot of different prospects, is because of the amount of hype. I mean, we're, you know, Isaiah Simmons, now he could go number three, he can go number... what? He's not going to go number two, but he's now regularly being mocked to the Lions. And again, I don't mind if you believe that that's genuinely a thing, but... It's not a coincidence that it happened after the combine. And the problem, again, I have with that is we already knew he was a freak. So why was he a, a five, six, seven, eight guy before and now he's a three guy? What changed? Nothing changed. At least from my perspective. Maybe it changed for you. I don't know. Just just a, a heads up. Don't do that. We're just looking at what is different. For example, the, the, the LaVisca Chenault thing is troubling to me. And I hope that he can get surgery and get healed up and run faster at his pro date. Or if, and if he doesn't... I just, I hope he is, because he looks really fat, but a big part of the reason he's so high up for me is because he does all these really cool things that I like, but then I also saw a guy that looked really quick, but then he ran really slow, I mean, not really slow, but slow, so that that's troubling to me, because that was a big part of my evaluation, is that despite being really big, really strong, really good at all these versatile things, he's also a pretty fast wide receiver. If suddenly he's not fast, that makes me nervous. Also, Jalen Rager. I'm hoping he goes faster at his pro day, but a big part of his evaluation is that he's a speed guy. There was talk about, could he possibly be faster than Ruggs? And most people said no, but he's probably still like a 4.35 guy. He ran a 4.47. That is wildly troubling. I know he jumps really high and all that stuff, but this is a guy that was expected to be in the 4.3s who ran a 4.47. Why? Right? That That's troubling to me. A big part of his, his appeal is that he's really, really fast. So... Again, that's in a situation where I'm looking at it going, mm, it scares me a little bit. Again, we'll see the pro day. Maybe that'll change it. I know the, the scheduling messed everything up, and certain people were just, they're cold, they're tired. They've been sitting around for four or five hours just waiting to run because the, the, the schedule is all dumb. But, you know, these are examples of people that, that move. Either you did a lot better than people expected, right? Mims. I don't think anyone expected Mims to be a 4-3 guy. So you take all these things that you really like about him and that he looks relatively fast, and then you find out he's a 4-3 guy? Whoo! I understand the hype. Now, maybe it's a little bit more overhyped than it should be, but I absolutely understand why he's now getting more hype than he did in the past. It makes sense. He exceeded expectations. I just don't think Isaiah Simmons exceeded expectations. He's a freak, but again, we knew he was a freak. Anyways, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.